Good morning, I'm Tim, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. It's good to have you with us uh, this Memorial Day weekend, or Memorial Weekend. I'm sure you have plans uh, after church, or maybe uh, Monday, so uh, just be thinking about, just thinking about the sacrifice, folks, that, that men and women have given for our country, and, and for those of, maybe we've lost a loved one uh, as well, to think about them as well. I know I'm going to be uh, back in uh, my, near my hometown, I'm going to be back in Bone Gap uh, here this afternoon, or and tomorrow, and I'm going to be spending some time uh, visiting some of my family that are in cemeteries uh, in the area. So I hope you'll be thinking about that. Uh, we're glad you're here, and uh, I know that we had two baptisms this week, and Lisa did make it. And Lisa, could you stand up? There she is. And I thought that's awesome. Uh, Jordan was, was uh, in the first service. He was at our first service and sat right on the front row, too. I thought, wow, he got some guts. So... Got some guts, yeah. It's good to be together this morning. We're in a we're in a series uh, in the Book of Acts, and before I get into that, I want to remind you uh, that we do we are having camp coming up here in this next couple of weeks, and we're having primary week along with our teen week. And if you're still interested in helping some of our uh, kids go to camp, uh, we could we could use uh, we could use your financial help if you'd like to do that. Just earmark on your check how much you want to you know give to the the camp, whether it be primary week or teen week. If you have cash, maybe try to, I don't know, is there an envelope or something? Or just find a way to, to earmark that. Or you can use our digital place where you can swipe a card and put, a, put some money in as well to help send a kid to camp. I am a product of church camp, and, and I'm glad that, uh, that my mom uh, tied me up and sent me to church camp. It saved my life. And so uh, a lot of good things happen at church camp. It's not like church. It's, it's just a totally different environment. And uh, if you'd like to help somebody, we'd be more than happy to uh, use whatever you can give uh, to send a kid to camp. And we're in the book of Acts, and we've been looking at um, all the different things about the book of Acts as far as different people, uh, men and women in the book of Acts. You know, the, 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 the book of Acts is a, is a, is a part of a two-volume set of books written by uh, Luke. He was a doctor, and uh, he wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he also wrote the book of Acts. He wrote it to a fellow by the name of Theophilus. In fact, if you uh, think up on the screen, do we have that passage? Maybe not. There we go. Look, what, look here's what Luke says. It's not on your notes. If, if you'd like to follow along, there are some notes to follow along. But this happens to be up here and not on your notes. This is from Acts chapter 1. It says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those for who were first were eyewitnesses and servants. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, so you may know the the certainty of the things you have been taught. You know, Luke wanted to make sure Theophilus, who was a relatively new Christian, who had, had become a Christian during the time of the book of Acts, he wanted to know who he had really, uh, not only the account of Jesus, but he wanted him to also see what happened after Jesus went into heaven, after he ascended into heaven. And he did that in order to, I guess, to, to solidify or encourage or help his faith grow and, and, and more. And so, he, he, so the whole book of Acts is a continuation of what Jesus was doing in the book of Luke and what he continued to do after he ascended into heaven. A lot of people will say, is, are the book, is the book of Acts about the Acts of the Apostles? Is it about the acts of some, some, some men and women, some early Christians? Is it the acts of God? Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's all three of those. And we see this continuation of Jesus. Though he's ascended into heaven, 
He's still working on the earth. In fact, if you, when you read the book of Acts, it kind of ends in a really peculiar way. It just kind of abruptly stops as if somebody stopped writing. It doesn't have really a the end or a crescendo ending. It just kind of stops. And you think, why is that? I think the book is left open because it's still happening. God is still working. You are in the book of Acts. God wants you to be his Acts man or his Acts woman. He wants you to, wants you to work the Acts of God through your life. See, Jesus... You worked in the lives of men and women in the book of Acts. He worked through them, those disciples, those servants, and he still wants to. I know today it seems that a lot of churches are catering to what people want. They want they're saying, you know, we want to give what people are looking for, and it doesn't matter what it is. I'm watching churches giving away cars. You've got to be kidding me. And you say, well, whatever it takes to get them in the seat. Greater Alton has been accused of that occasionally. What are we going to do to get people in, in, in the chair, you know? And we'll, we've drawn crowds before. We do that every year with our trees to the trunk. We draw, we draw two, 3,000 people just giving away candy. And, you know, and a lot of people have this mentality that, well, you know, if you will offer this or this or this, then they will come. What I'm learning from the book of Acts is when disciples are serious about glorifying God, when disciples are serious about following God, people come. When, when disciples are serious about sharing their faith, people come. Because people are not just looking for a piece of candy or a new car. They're looking for Jesus Christ. They're looking for answers. And and I want to encourage you, church, to see that in the book of Acts, when a crowd was gathered, it was because the church was working. God was working through them. And so uh, this morning we're looking at, I I think, perhaps one of the most tragic stories that you could ever read in the Bible. It kind of reminds you of a story in the Old Testament of Achan. Uh, got like the same kind of flavor where things are going really well for the church and then something happens. They hit a wall. They hit, they hit a, a snag, so to speak. And if you've got your Bibles, you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 5. We're going to read together a little bit from the book of Acts here. In Acts chapter 5, we're going to start in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Look at what kind of church is happening. We've talked about the Acts 2 church. We've talked about the Acts 3 church. Here's the Acts 4 church. All the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no, listen to this, there were no needy persons among them. Wow. From time to time, Those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So right now, what kind of church is this? It's a very generous church. It's a generous church. They take care of one another. One of the things that made the early church so attractive to the community around them was they saw how they took care of one another. I still think that that's a major playing card for the church. When people see how well we take care of one another, they want to go, I would like to be took care of like that. I'd like to get some help like that. And there's no needy people. They're, 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 they're generous with one another. They're sacrificial. They sell fields. They sell homes. Now, they didn't sell them when they became Christians. They didn't sell them. Everybody sold everything they had. They sold from time to time. Somebody would sell something that belonged to them, and they would bring it to the apostles. 
And then they single out this fellow named Joseph or uh, a guy called Barnabas. And he's even got kind of a, a reputation. He's a son of encouragement. See, this guy is so encouraging. You know, this, guys, I want you to know, generosity encourages the church. And, and, and a disciple here by the name of Barnabas encourages the church. He's known for encouragement. You known for encouragement? What an encouraging guy. He's the guy that goes and gets Paul from Tarsus, who's kind of stuck there, and brings him with him to Jerusalem and speaks on, Barna, on Saul's behalf. The guy who was killing Christians says, hey, he's okay now. He's the guy when, when, when uh, him and Paul, which was Saul, start having a, a dispute. What are they arguing over? A guy named John Mark. It's so strong they part company. And what's the Bible say? Barnabas takes John Mark with him. He wants to encourage him. This man is just an encourager. And so he, he, brings, he brings this, he sells a field. He's an owner of property. And he sells a field, gives it to the apostles. And then the next, in chapter 5, it, it starts off with, now, I don't know how many of you have a different translation. It says, but. But there's a transition that's beginning to take place here. Now a man, another axe man, named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept from yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. I would guess so. Don't go to that church. There's something in the communion. You know. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Why is this in the Bible? Why is this, why is this in the Scriptures? Why does the Bible... Rec- well, if I was God and I, and I was going to write a book that, that talked about me, I would make it all good stuff. You wouldn't want to put this bad. That's bad PR, Lord. Man, how are you going to get people to come to church when you're saying they're dying in it? This is not good. Why would God do that? Because God wants you to know the truth. He wants you to know straight up what, what being a Christian and being a disciple is all about. And he doesn't, He's going to hide things from you or I. And so he records this tragic event so we can learn something. Learn something about, well, is it about money? I mean, is it in here about, is this, it's in here to get people to give more. If you don't give more, you'll die. Is that what it's about? Is that why it's recorded? A lot of preachers use this passage to get people to give more. Give a dollar or you'll be dead. Is that what it's about? No. It's not about the money, church. This, this, this story is not about the money. It's about hypocrisy. 
And you see a church that's doing so well, going forward in so many ways, and the problems on the outside can't stop it. It's a problem inside, inside the heart of some believers. You ever anybody say this? The church is full of hypocrites. I'm not going to your church. How come? It's full of hypocrites. Hey, the world is full of hypocrites. The world is full of hypocrites. Yet we don't say, I'm not going to Walmart because it's full of hypocrites. I was planning to go to Applebee's, but I saw a lot of hypocrites. They go to your church, huh? No, no. I'm saying... But we'll hear people say, one time a guy said, I'm not coming to church because it's full of hypocrites. And the guy shot back. Well, that's okay. You know, go ahead and come. We've got a seat for one more. We're not full yet. Hypocrisy. What is that about? I don't want to be a hypocrite. Do you? I don't want to be a hypocrite. Obviously, I don't want to be a hypocrite because God struck these two dead. Somebody said, I was reading, somebody said, well, uh, I think uh, uh, Ananias was overwhelmed by the thought that he lied to God that, it, that he'd had a heart attack and died. Really? His heart was that good? He's hidden money. Him and, him and Sapphira, they look at Barnabas, they see what's going on there, and they're going, man, let's do the same thing. And then they get the, you ever done this? You're, I'm going to give you this, Lord. And then you get it, and you go, can we talk? It's a lot of money. And we start making a deal. They, they take a little back, which says something about their faith. It says that they're not completely trusting the Lord. And they bring a different amount of money, a little bit less. And they bring it to the apostles' feet and they die. And the difference is it's hypocrisy. They're lying. What is hypocrisy? And you ask people. Like I say, the, the, the world would say the church is full of hypocrites. And what do they mean when they say hypocrisy? Are they saying something like this? We see people the way they are versus where they should be. And the gap represents hypocrisy. Would that be a way to say it? It's that gap. Him. And when I see somebody say they're a Christian, and then I see that, boy, they mess up and they screw up. Aha! You're a hypocrite! Isn't that what the Bible would say? I'm not so sure. In fact, in your notes, let's, just, let's talk about what is hypocrisy for a minute. Well, first of all, let me tell you what hypocrisy is not. Hypocrisy, hypocrisy is not inconsistency. Now, those of you, those of you here, I know some of you here are dictionary enthusiasts. You know your dictionary much better than I do. Some of you are English majors. And you're, you're saying, Tim, I don't know about that. Because doesn't inconsistency mean different? Like, here's the picture. Here's where you are. And here's where you should be. And it's different. And that's inconsistent. And yes, that is. And that could be hypocrisy. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about... Not being consistent. You say, well, right. I'm saying not being perfect. See, the world, the world, I think, you know, I'm not even sure if the world expects us to be perfect. But somehow the world's got this idea that if you're not perfect, then you're, incons- you're inconsistent. Therefore, you're a hypocrite. And you know who's been giving them that impression? Hypocrites. 
What do you mean, Tim? Well, Ted Williams once said this. Ted Williams said this. He said, whoever can fail seven out of ten times will be a great player in baseball. And, you know, I started thinking about that. He's saying if a guy can get a batting average in the 300s, he'll be, be considered a great player. You know who has the highest lifetime batting average? Ty Cobb. 366 lifetime batting average. Right now, Miguel Pereira, it, whatever, Panera, that's what I call him. Anyway, he's got, you know, the St. Louis Bread Company guy. He's got, he's right now at 388 for this season. But on the list of overall, he's not even in the top 10. He's like 48th in the top 1,000 batting average stats. His batting average is like 330-something lifetime. He's having a good year so far. It's still early in the season. You know, I got to thinking, who had, who had, um, who was it that had maybe the, the largest batting average in a single season? So I looked that up. I spent an hour looking at this. Way too much time. You know, here I am trying to put finishing touches on my sermon, and I'm preoccupied with this. Who's got the best average of, you know, in a single season? A guy by the name of James O'Neill. They called him Tip O'Neill. Don't confuse him with the Reagan administration kind of guy. Yeah. But his name was Tip O'Neill, nickname. And his average was over 400, 4-something, four 480, something like that, in 1880-something. I guess the baseball was that big. I don't know. I mean, it's throwing it like no, but, but, you know, I mean, he had this incredible batting average. By the way, he's not in the top ten. Babe Ruth's in the top ten. Shoeless Joe Jackson's in the top ten. Rogers Hornsby is in the top ten. Ted Williams is in the top ten. Ty Cobb's in the top ten. But you won't find out about fella. Tip O'Neill's not in the top ten. He's down in the 40s somewhere. Albert Pujols is in the 30-something and falling in the overall he needs to stop. <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. Um, what are you trying to say, Tim? Nobody bats a thousand. I mean, I mean what is this? What, what is this all about? Uh, he bats three, 330, oh, 388. Here comes the next. We say this. He bats 388. The next hitter. Wouldn't you call him the next misser? Because he misses more often than he hits. But we say the next hitter. Hitting statistics. And I'm thinking, missing statistics. What's the longest anyone's ever went batting a thousand? Because we know the phrase, no one ever bats a thousand. You want to bet? The record is for six games. How many games do are in the majors? hundred 160? 162. I knew that a Cub fan would know that. Okay, 162. I didn't know. I didn't, you know, it's funny. You could say something. I know a Cub fan knows that. And everybody goes, oh. I didn't. What's that saying? Nothing. I just agreeing with Alan. But you see what I'm saying? Six games the guy was able to maintain. I think two players, maybe more, but there's two players that maintained a batting average of 1,000 for six games, and then game seven started, and then it went 
Nobody bats a thousand. What I'm trying to say is, some of you here, you're inconsistent. Some of you here, you know, you've been, you've been trying to be sober. You've been trying to be, you know, you've tr- you're trying to keep yourself from getting back, ha- having a relapse of sort. And, and, and you have went, done so well for 300 and some odd days. And then you fall off the wagon. And what do you do? You go, oh, i got to start all over. You kidding? You realize that your average is beats Ty Cobbs through the roof? And he's called the best. But I was inconsistent. That makes me a hypocrite. Really? Inconsistency may not be hypocrisy. All it means is you're a human being. You screw up. You're a sinner. Look what the Bible says here. It says here in, in, in Proverbs, no one can say I'm innocent. I've never done anything wrong. I said this in the first service. I go, okay, let's, the top ten, type it in. The top, search it. The top ten people that could say I'm innocent and they'd be right. Number one, Jesus. Number two, yet to be announced. And someone said, what about babies? Well, they don't know if they're doing something wrong, okay? Oh, they're innocent. How many of you guys you know what I'm talking about? Right? Only one person could say that. Only Jesus Christ. And Solomon says, nobody can say I've never done anything wrong. Inconsistent. Yeah. How many times have you been to maybe a family? You're going to do a family thing today or tomorrow. And somebody who's supposed to be this great Christian does something that's inconsistent. Aha! You're a hypocrite. Am I a hypocrite, Tim? Could be. And I can tell you what for sure what you are. You're a human being. You're a sinner. You screw up. And if it weren't for Jesus, any consistency you have is not from yourself. It's from the Lord. That should humble us as believers, not make us judgmental and arrogant with one another or with those that aren't the hypocrites that are out there. Look at this other passage. David said this is up on your, this is up on the screen. No one can say or no one can see all their own mistakes. Is that true? I think, I mean, I've made so many mistakes that I can't keep track. I, most, I've, had, I've had a lot of mistakes I've made and I don't even know it. You say, when's the time you don't make mistakes, Tim? I wish I could say I don't make mistakes in my sleep. But I've actually made mistakes in my sleep. One time I thought my wife was a zombie and I punched her. I had this hallucination. I looked next to me and there's a zombie. You're saying, what does she look like in the morning? No, no. I'm saying, I, I was having a hallucination. Oh, a zombie and I punched her. And she goes, you punched me. What's wrong with you? I thought you were a zombie. I'm not a zombie. Come on. Sorry. I'm sorry. I can't even sleep without making mistakes. David says, no one can see all of his own mistakes. We have weaknesses. You have blind sides. And he says, forgive me for my secret sins. He goes, Lord, I want you to forgive me for those ones I'm even, not even aware of doing. Nobody bets a thousand. Hypocrisy is not inconsistency. Sometimes it can be. I'm not denying that. If there's a difference between who I am and what I should be, it, there may be a factor that we're going to see in a minute. That has something to do with that gap. But inconsistency doesn't mean I'm a hypocrite. It just means I'm a sinner. I'm a screw-up. I'm a foul-up. Number two, 
Hypocrisy, uh, the second thing I want you to see is hypocrisy is not immaturity. I'm not the same person I was when I was five. Fifty years have passed. I know some of you would like to argue that point, but I'm not the same person I used to be. And you're not the same person you used to be when you were five. And, and, and spiritually speaking, I'm not the same person I was when I was baptized, and neither are you. Look what Paul said. The Apostle Paul, who would say that he's got a prize set before him, and he forgets what's behind and strains toward ahead. What's this prize that he's after? What is it that he wants? And he says, he says this, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, or that I've already reached perfection, But I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. What's he saying? I'm not there yet. There's a gap. Solomon says there's a gap between who I am and what I should be. And it's because of inconsistency. Paul says there's a gap, too. I have a gap. It's between who I am and what I should be. And the gap is called immaturity. I'm just not there yet. I'm still growing. And some of you here, you know, I know many of you here, you long to be what God wants you to be. And you're, you're working, you're fighting to make that happen, and you still fall short, and you think, oh, I'm such a hypocrite. Are you? You may not be a hypocrite. You may simply be immature. So what is hypocrisy then? Ah, now we're getting to it. What would you say hypocrisy is? Well, I'll tell you what hypocrisy is. This is my language, okay? Hypocrisy is being a phony. It's being phony. But Tim, you know, you got these two people that are different. And uh, no, no, yes, they're different. But you're, you don't, you want to project being somebody else. I heard somebody say it this way. How to go? A hypocrite is somebody who is someone else on Sunday. They're being somebody else during the week. They come to church and they project themselves to be someone else. A little boy one time was, um, he was in the backyard playing, lived on a farm. And as he's, as he's on the farm, he sees a rat in the backyard, and he chases it down. He grabs it, and he beats it, and he stomps it, and he kills it. And he's so proud of it, he wants to go show his mom. So he runs in the house, runs through the back door to the kitchen. Bam! The, the storm door slams shut. Mom, look what I got! Look at I! I found this rat! I got him, and I stomped on him! And then he notices the preacher has come to call and visit. And the preacher's sitting in the sofa. And he says, I killed, I stopped and I, I killed. And the Lord called him home. Huh? What happened? What's all this piety about? Isn't it amazing how somebody can come in? Somebody. A preacher. Mom. Dad. A friend. And change our demeanor. And we, we, we project this other person that we're not. And the thing is, guys, God is the one that we should be looking at. 
God is the one that sees our hearts and knows exactly, you know, he sees who we really are. And he's got a place he wants us to be. And he's saying, don't be a hypocrite. That's what Ananias and Sapphira were doing. They were trying to project something. They were trying to be somebody they were not. Hypocrisy comes from the word to act. To, to, like an actor. In fact, I think, um, what's, the, what's, the, what's the icon for drama? Yeah, there are two masks, right? One's got a happy face, one's got a sad face. You ever heard anybody say, you're two-faced? That's hypocrisy. You're, you're covering up who you really are. Let's say this table represents, well, presents, represents our life here. And what we do is, we, we, we just imagine with me a minute, what are some sins? Think of the sins that people are just, oh my, they're bad sins. Oh, I'm a liar, or I lie, and we put it on the, we put, you know, it's in our life. Or I, I, I'm, I have lust in my, in my heart, and, we, and, we, and, and it's in my life. It's in my life. You know, I'm dishonest. I lie. I cheat. I'm bitter. I'm angry. I'm doing something nobody knows, and we, and we and it's in our life. And hypocrisy, what hypocrisy seeks to do, it seeks to cover it up. It seeks not only to cover it up, but it also seeks to, you know, make it look a little better than it is. There. You follow me? That's what Ananias and Sapphira are doing. They're, they see Barnabas... They see Barnabas getting all of this attention, and they're wanting that. And so instead of being upfront and honest, they're being phony. Look at these Bible passages. They cover it up. They want, they want to project a certain image that's different than they really are. Look what Jesus says here. How terrible for you teachers of the law and Pharisees. He's really hard on the Pharisees. Why? Hypocrisy. He goes, you are hypocrites. You are like tombs that are painted white. Outside, those tombs look fine. But inside, they're full of the bones of dead people and all kinds of unclean things. It is the same with you. People look at you and think you're good, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and evil. Mark 7, look at this passage. Look what Jesus says. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, you hypocrites. And as is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are what, church? Far from me. Gap. There's a gap between what I say and what I do. Who I, who I am and who I want people to think I am. It's not about the money. It's about hypocrisy. I wrote this down. Hypocrisy is not the gap between who I am and who I should be, but it's more about who I am and who I pretend to be. You know, when uh, I, I'm an Office fan. Anybody watch The Office? Have you watched the last one? We're afraid to admit we're... Yeah, kind of. Okay. Well, I think, you know, everybody's really careful about putting their hand up on the office, all right? But in the season finale, it's the last one, the end of the season, end of the program. And Jenna Fisher, 
is being interviewed, and she talked about one time she was at a restaurant. She plays this, the woman, Pam, who's married in the office to a guy named Jim, played by John Krasinski. Krasinski? I can never get his name right. Did he? Oh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, it, they're together at a restaurant, and a fan walks up and says, Ooh, you really are married! And she's, her response was, Yes, we are! To different people. We are actors. So they're projecting this one image when the reality is they're this way. There's something else. That's, that's what hypocrisy is. And Jesus says this. He says in Luke 12, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. What's he saying? Be careful. Watch out. Avoid it. You don't want it in your life. This morning, I just want to say, you know, are there hypocrites in the church? There's hypocrites everywhere. What I want you to think about this morning, are you a hypocrite? I'm inconsistent. I'm not asking that. I'm immature. I'm not asking that. I'm asking, are you a person who has things in your life, but you're projecting somebody else. That's what happens to Ananias and Sapphira. And this morning, whether we're a hypocrite or not, the Bible in this story, this tragic story, shows us how to avoid hypocrisy. How do I do that, Tim? There's three things I noticed in the passage. If you follow along, follow along in the notes, here they are. The first one is, I will avoid hypocrisy when I take my hypocrisy seriously. Guys, the church is doing amazing things. The church is doing incredible things. Lots of people are becoming Christians. People are growing. The Word of God is being spread. And people are being helped. What kind of church is this? It's, it's, they share their faith. They're evangelistic. But they're also very generous with one another. And they help one another. They're checking each other. They're, they're watching each other's back. They're making sure they're there when somebody's going through a tough time. They're, they're, they're sacrificial for one another. And then it comes to a screeching halt because somebody's being a hypocrite. Now, here's how I know not everybody in this church is hypocritical. Because only two die. They're struck dead. How serious is God about hypocrisy? Dead serious. Dead serious about it. He doesn't want in his church. He doesn't want his place full of hypocrites. Why? Because hypocrite, hypocrisy kills. Anna and Sapphira are dead. They are dead. That's how serious God is about hypocrisy. Church, how serious are you about hypocrisy? Well, I'm, very, I'm dead serious. You're serious about hypocrisy? You really convicted about hypocrisy? You know, I, 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 you say, well, you know, Tim, I don't know who a hypocrite and who isn't. I'm saying, are you concerned about hypocrisy at Greater Alton Church? Because hypocrisy kills you say, how's that possible, Tim? Because, understand, what is Ananias and Sapphira doing? They're challenging the power of God. They're challenging the integrity of the early church. They're saying, we're going to do something. We're going to hide it. 
And if we get away with it, what would happen if they'd have got away with this? It would have destroyed the integrity of Peter as an apostle and the church in general. Guys, they lied to God. Look what it says here. It, sa- it says here, and then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart, you're filled your heart with that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? And he says, you've not just lied to men, or you haven't really lied to men, you've lied to God. It says in verse 5 of Acts 5 here, he fell down and he died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. The church was concerned about hypocrisy. Would you agree with that? When they saw what hypocrisy does to a Christian believer, to a Christian, they said, I'm not, I am not going to have that in my life. How serious are you about it? You go to the doctor. And you sit down and the doctor says, look, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. How concerned would you be about it? I bet you'd be concerned then, huh? Or like Alec Baldwin, I'm not a pilot, but I play one on TV. And you're going to Jamaica. Not with Alec Baldwin. Why not? Because he's an actor. How serious. You know, I've heard people say no one takes a hypocrite seriously. I think we should. We should take seriously what a hypocrite can do to this place. We should take seriously what hypocrites have done to this church. And you, if you're going to be, guys, if you're going to be concerned and stressed out and you're going to be serious about hypocrisy, why not start with your own? That's all Ananias and Sapphira would have had to do. If they'd have just started with their own hypocrisy. But they didn't. They didn't. It says in Acts 5, verses 9 through 11, the very part there, verse 10, uh, in verse 11, it says, At that moment she fell down. Even Sapphira dies. She dies. She, it says here, How could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Do you realize when you're trying to put on a show, you test the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God that can see inside you? You test the power of God and the impact of God and the power and influence and impact of Greater Alton Church? I know we hear about, guys, I tell you, man, media is tough on hypocrisy. Would you agree with that? Men are tough, especially preachers. I mean, I mean, you can name, name the names of the preachers who have been found out. Goodness. And the media is heartless about it. But Ananias and Sapphira are not preachers. You follow me now? They're members. And their hypocrisy hurt the church. Again, I want to ask you, are you hiding? If you're hiding something, you're trying to give everybody this impression you're something when you're really not. Your hypocrisy is hurting us. Well, the answer then, I guess I'll just leave. No, the answer is to, to leave this kind of life. The answer is repentance. 
It says great fear seized the whole church and all who heard it. I want you to see it. It says the church got convicted about hypocrisy. Are you serious about your hypocrisy? We all have it. Number two, I drop my desire to be noticed. If I want to avoid hypocrisy, I've got to drop this desire to be noticed. I don't understand it. I'm trying to understand it. But when I became a Christian, and maybe you can, maybe you can identify with this, when a person becomes a Christian, what's it about? Is it about themselves or about Jesus? Huh? It's supposed to be about Christ. It's supposed to be about, you know, that's why, uh, that's why pressuring somebody to get baptized is not right. Uh, well, my brother did it. I guess I'll do it. That isn't right. It's about following Christ, about pleasing Christ. And what is it? What happens to us? I wonder sometimes. I've watched people, this happen to them, and it's happened to me. Where initially it's about Jesus and about Jesus. And it's, it's about, about noticing Jesus. And then somehow it becomes about noticing me. As if the righteous things that I'm doing, I don't need God's help. Anything you and I do that's righteous is because of the power of God, not our own choice, not our own ability. But this is such a strong temptation to want the praise and accolades of others. You know, Ananias, but you know this, the word, the name Ananias means the grace and mercy of God. Do you know that? That Ananias means the grace and mercy of God. Sapphira means the word we get, um, sapphire, beautiful. So think with me a minute here. Here's Ananias. Has God been gracious to this man? Oh my, he's been so good to this man. Merciful and gracious. He's forgiven him of all of his sins. He's become a Christian. And not only that, he has a beautiful wife. And he also has financial security. God has blessed him financially. Where he owns land and possessions. And he can sell them. And still have some to spare. And not only that, he's a part of this incredible church. Imagine being a part of the early church. At the beginning of it. And, and he's seeing people coming to Christ. He's seeing lives changed. Lives being transformed. Joy in people that have been so sad, so depressed for years. He's, it's got to be an exciting, romping, crazy place. What else could a man ask for? Apparently, Ananias was asking for something else. What's he want? He wants the praise of people. And look at the question. This is, this is a haunting question here. But look what he says here. He says, what made you think of doing such a thing? What a question. I think and I say, I know the answer to that. What made me think of doing this, Peter, was I, wa- I wanted to be noticed. I wanted people to see me. 
I wanted the. I saw how they thought about Barnabas. I saw Luke write it down real quick. Well, that Barnabas is something. I want him to write about me. I don't think this is what he wanted written about him. He wanted people to go, "Wow, that's cool." Look at Ananias. He's a giver too. He should be a leader. I think he could say, what made me think of such a thing is, if I was to be real, I think people would, would reject me. So I've got to put up this front. I'm going to be this. If you want to know, Peter, that's why I did such a thing. Guys, if you, want, if, you, if you want to avoid hypocrisy, you've got to avoid this very strong temptation to be noticed. You've got, to, you've, you've got to find a way. Guys, I mean, I mean, what I want you to think about is, look, well, look, look at this. Look at everything Jesus says here. Look how he describes it. He says, don't do the good, your good deeds publicly to be admired. Would you circle to be admired? Because then you will lose your reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 2, he says, and when you give your gift to someone in need, don't shout about it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets into synagogues. And the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. Up here on the screen in verse 5, he says this. Jesus is saying this. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. Verse 16. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do who try to look pale and disheveled so people will will admire them for their fasting. Who are you trying to impress? If you're, are you trying to impress the Lord or, or somebody? You're wasting your time if you're trying to impress somebody. And what that gets you into when you try to impress other people, guys, when it's about pleasing people, and believe me, I, wish, I want you to know, I know this is true. When you start trying to please people, you end up having to act different roles all the time. It will wear you out. I know this from experience. Trying to please my family, trying to please my friends, trying to please other, other leaders, trying to please people who don't even go to church here. And so I put on this mask. And I'm doing my thing. I put over here. Over here, you know. Ta-da! Good. Good. I got through that show. It'll wear you out. But if you'll just focus on pleasing God, which isn't that difficult, you'll find yourself more consistent. You'll find yourself growing into maturity. And you won't be a phony. Who are you trying to impress? Let me ask you this. Who do you want to see get the credit? Here's what Paul says to the Corinthian church. Whether you eat or drink, he's talking about what, even if you're eating and drinking, whatever you do, whatever it is, the everyday things we do in life, he says, do it all for the glory of God. What's he talking about? The word glory means to magnify. 
It means to, to bring out the wonder and beauty and power of God. Not the wonder, I'm not that wonderful, or the beauty, I'm not that beautiful or powerful. I am powerless of Tim. You all listening this morning? Hypocrisy outside is not going to kill this church. It's not the hypocrites out there, but the hypocrite in here that's going to destroy us. Drop that desire. I think it's a very strong desire for Christians. We want to impress. We want people to see, look, I really am doing the work. I really am being a Christian. I really am. You know, you're wrong about me. Let me show you. I really am. I got this. You know, why don't we just be real? You know, the the world doesn't. I don't think they're asking for perfection from us. They're just asking us to be real. They're looking for people who will impress God. Number three. If I want to avoid hypocrisy, I avoid it when I strive for authenticity. Look at these two passages here. It says, With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Doesn't sound very authentic, does it? And Peter addresses this. Peter, it's amazing. He just goes, Ananias, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, was it the money at your disposal? He said it was yours to begin with. You could have done whatever you wanted. You get to choose. What made you think of doing such a thing? You've lied. Not lied to men, but to God. And I think to myself, man, Ananias, what could you have done? What could you have done? All Ananias had to do was cut the crap. All he had to do, if he wanted to be authentic, if he wanted to keep from being a hypocrite, just let everybody see it. Let everybody see what's inside his heart. Nineteen twenty two, a guy found the tomb of King Tut. And when he broke open the tomb, there's this huge sarcophagus. It's the biggest coffin he'd ever seen. And so he opens it. And when he opens it, there's another coffin inside, and it's covered with gold leaf. Gold just gold. So he opens it, and inside's another casket, and it's covered in gold. He opens the third one, and inside is a coffin made of solid gold. He cracks it open, and inside he sees a body covered with a gold cloth with this elaborate, beautiful, solid gold mask. And when he takes the mask off and he takes the gold cloth off this body, you know what he finds? An ugly, dried up, dead corpse. All that gold and all that covering didn't cover what he was really like, huh? 
King Tut was a mess. Do you need to take a mask off? Is there a mask you need to take off? James 4 says this. If you do, look what the Bible says. Here's what you do. Draw close to God and He'll draw close to you. Why would I draw close to God? Because He understands and He can help me. You don't have to be far away. Your lips don't have to be the only things close to God. Your heart can be close to God this morning. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. And He says, purify your hearts, you hypocrites. He's saying, just get it out. Get it out in the open. What do you need to get out in the open? What needs to be purified from your heart this morning? Are you hiding bitterness? Are you hiding are you hiding lust? Greed? Anger? Are you in an affair? What are you hiding? What needs to be why not take the mask off? He already knows what's behind it. I think you know if if we could just get to where we could take the masks off. You say, well, Great Rotten's known for that. I don't know anymore. I want it to be known for being a place that's real. I'm not denying that. But that de- that's going to depend on me if I'm going to be real. And won't that depend on you too? What needs to, needs to be uncovered? May God help you find that and deal with that. You have a card in your bulletin, and in that card is just a simple communication card. Some of you have seen it several times, and maybe you haven't filled that card in a while. Maybe it's time to do it again. What do you need to uncover? What do we do with those cards? Well, we collect them. We collect them after we sing the second song. The first song, we give you a chance to fill them out. And then the second song, we, we take those cards up along with our contribution. Then we process those cards. We get them together and we give them. We give them to key people in the church to pray over. Nobody grabs them and says, "Oh, let's. I want to send this over to so and so, so you can they can know what's going on in their life." No, I, they. We give it to our prayer ministry, and we get, we 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 let some of our leaders that are in our discipleship system here look at those. They pray over them. Nobody gossips. No, instead we try to figure out, God, what do we do? What, what, can, what can we do to help them? Maybe there's a decision you need to make today. A decision. Maybe you decided you want to be baptized. You've been thinking about it. I would suggest you don't be pushed. You'd, but, I, but I want to encourage you, if you want to be baptized, to do it quickly. You're going to notice in the book of Acts... They were baptized immediately, within the same hour. They didn't wait months or weeks or years. Maybe you need some help with your finances or maybe some with your marriage. Maybe there's a box that you can check. Expect somebody. You say, well, I che- I, it's been a while since I've checked it. Check it again. Expect somebody to make a call on you. 
Why not take the opportunity? God wants to help you this morning. We're going to give you time to do that while we sing this song, and then we're going to sing another song and take up these cards along with our contribution, and we'll be through with today. May God bless you with a rich, fulfilling weekend, okay, with your family. But most of all, may God help you deal with the hypocrisy in your life.